Good evening. That was soft. Let's try that again. Good evening. Yes. Dude, what? What an amazing time of just worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Dude, with that song, man, when we started singing that song and it was like, all I want is to be with you. Or like you, whatever. I'm telling you, man, I don't know why they don't have me singing up here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, no, I know why. I know why. And uh, we know why. No, listen, man, I'm so excited to be here tonight. And um, I look forward every week to being here on Tuesday night because I get to hang out with some of the coolest people on the planet, which are you guys. So give yourselves a hand for being awesome. And uh, excited for Mill Creek winning the Donut Bus Challenge. What's up, Mill Creek? Where you at? Um, there's rumors that the Donut Bus might be at a football game this week. Maybe Collins Hill Decula. I don't know. It might be there. And uh, uh, it might also be at Mountain View this week. I don't know. It might be there this week. And uh, some other places. So, uh, you know, uh, so get ready. Be looking out for the Donut Bus. If you see it, make sure you come to it because free Krispy Kreme for everybody. Um, so tonight, tonight I want to pick up where we left off last week. Now we are in this series called Circles, Core Community Compassion. And the whole idea of this series is we just want to reset. We want to look at our vision, our mission statement at 12 Stone Church. The 12 Stone mission statement is this. That we exist to inspire life, share life, and give life. For Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And what we have seen is that in most of the people's lives around us, when we look at them, they are not living and experiencing the full life that Christ has for them. And why is that the case? Because Jesus promised that you would have life and have it to the full if you were connected with him. And so we talked about the first week, we, we addressed the first week, and we talked about the core, that at the very center of your life, the core of your life must be God, must be Jesus. And so if, you wanna, if you're taking notes, you want to write a couple circles down, and you just want to put core and uh, put God in the center, and we looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, where King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire, the greatest empire that's ever uh, walked the face of the earth, the king Nebuchadnezzar built this 90-foot statue in the middle of the plains of Dura, forcing every person in Babylon to bow down and worship his statue. And we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar was an image builder. We talked about how we are image builders, how we all want to project an image, that our culture is about projecting an image, that we build that through social media. We build that through different things in our life. We want people to perceive us in certain ways. We don't post our failures. We don't post ugly pics of ourselves because we want to project an image this seems to be perfect. And the only reason that we haven't built a statue of gold out of ourselves is because we can't afford it, but if we could, we would. We all have this desire to be God, the God of our life, to be an image builder. But we didn't just talk about the image builder. We also talked about the crowd. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were accused of not bowing before the statue. These were men of God, but they were not the only people in the crowd. They were not the only people in Babylon that were the people of God. There would have been thousands of people. And we talked about this, how there are thousands of students in Gwinnett County, thousands of students that go to church every single week. But when I talk to students, they say, man, I walk the halls of my school and I feel like I'm the only one. I feel like there's no one else is following Jesus, chasing after him. I feel like there's no one else is pursuing God wholeheartedly. Why is that the case? Well, the same goes with the crowd. Why, were the cra why was the crowd not accused? Because the crowd bowed. And the crowd always bows. The crowd always bows. 
We talked about how Jesus is on the, talks about how there's this narrow road that leads to life and few find it, but then there's this broad road that leads to destruction and many enter into it. That the truth is, is that the crowd is always following. The crowd is always bowing. That in order to take a stand, you must go against the crowd because the crowd is always chasing after these things over here. That's why for many of you, it is so hard for you to chase after God. It's so far for you to experience the full life in Christ because you are following the crowd everywhere the crowd goes like a little puppy dog on a leash Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego these guys were image bearers they carried the image of God they tell King Nebuchadnezzar when he says, listen, you're going to bow before this statue. I'm going to throw you in this fired furnace. And they say, listen, our God is capable of delivering us. And he will if he would like. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow before your statue. We would rather die than bow before anything else other than the true king of kings and lord of lords. You may be the king of Babylon, but you are not our king. And they bore the image. And we talked about that week. One of the phrases that I said as I was asked this question and I thought it was an interesting question from some students who were called into ministry. And the question was this. Christians are at their best when they blank. And Christians are at their worst when they blank. And I said the Christians are at their best when they decrease. And Christians are at their worst when they increase. When they try to be on the throne. See, either you are going to be at the core of your life. Or your friends following the crowd is going to be at the core of your life. Or God's going to be at the core of your life. And last week we talked about community. The second circle, community. This is, this is others-minded, but this is not just others. This is all about relationships with others. That God has created us for relationships. A picture of the relationship between God and the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This perfect relationship that God has with himself. Perfect in every way. And he creates man in the garden. And before sin ever enters the world, in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 2, just before that, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And that we see in the scripture over 120 one another injunctions. You should pray for one another. You should serve for one another. You should care for one another. You should bear one another's burdens. And we talked about how those are the type of people that we want to be around. We want to be around those people. We looked at the, the church in Acts, the early church in Acts chapter 2, and, and how they met each other's needs, and they cared for each other, and they sacrificed for each other, and they loved each other, and they didn't stop meeting together. And we talked about how that's why we do life groups, because God has created us to go deep with people, but we live in a culture that just stays on the surface with people. And so we have life groups where you can get deep with people and share stuff going on in your life. You can get accountability. You can get victory. You can experience that full life that Christ has for you through community that a Apart from community, you're in trouble. We talked about how one of the most desperate places that people get is when they're lonely. When they're lonely. And we talked about loneliness as a killer. And I gave you all those statistics on how much longer married people live and, 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 and all the different statistics on you know, least, uh, how much less likely they are to get cancer and all that kind of stuff. All that research has been done because companionship is so necessary. And Jesus tells us that. And then this week, we're going to talk about the third circle. The third circle is compassion. Compassion or a concern for others. You can write serving in quotation marks above it if you would like. 
Compassion, concern, serving. So basically, this is how it works. How it works is, is that if you place God at the core of your life, then as God begins to work in you and through you, then it's going to affect the relationships around you because you're going to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're going to exhibit these things. People are going to see that oozing out of you, and they're going to want to be around you because you are this person that just carries himself with love and kindness. You bear one another's burdens. You care for them in that way. And so people are drawn to you. So there's the community piece. And so as a result of that, not only are people drawn to you because of your kindness, but you also serve people. You also have a concern for people. Your heart breaks for people because the love of God is in you. And the heart of God breaks for people who are broken. The heart of God breaks for people who are broken. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 3. And I want to read you a story. And this story is, is an, I just love this story. It basically comes right after uh, the end of Acts chapter 2 where we were last week and, and, uh, and talking about how the church was caring for each other. And we talked about how because the church was in such great relationships with each other that like the church just blows up. And we talked about how one of the biggest goals that we have for this student ministry that no one comes in here and feels alone. You ever been to a place before and you feel alone? High school. <laughs> right? Like you can be in a massive crowd and still be alone. Right? And we don't want anybody to feel alone when they come here. We want you to get connected. We want to encourage you. We want to be a part of your life. There's some awesome people in here that you don't know yet, and we want you to get to know them. Right? And there's some awesome people in here? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. So I want to read this passage to you. Let's walk through it. We're going to have it on the screen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Check this out. It says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Pause for one minute here. The temple is the place of worship. It today would be the church. So Peter and John are going to what we would call the church today. And then notice what it says. It was about three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate beautiful where he was put every day. He was put there when? He's put there every day. Say it with me. He's put there when? Every day. That's important. You can underline that. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his, his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. God, I just want to pray that you would be with, these, with this scripture, that you would speak to our hearts and penetrate us at the core of who we are. God, I just pray, Father, that right now you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight and that everything that we say and do in here will bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
I want us to go after this. I want you to check this pass out. This is such an amazing story. Check this out. Notice what it says. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple for prayer about three in the afternoon. Now, man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he, where put there every day to beg for those going in the temple courts. I want you to picture this. This guy, every single day, he's lame. He cannot walk. Every single day, people would bring him. Early in the morning, they would set him at the gate beautiful, which is a prominent entrance into the temple, and they would put him at this gate, and every day with his cup or whatever he would have, he would shake it as people would walk by, and he would ask them. He would beg for them. And let me tell you something. I like that word that it says in here, that he begged. See, when people beg, they are desperate. This guy was desperate. He had no shame. He had nothing. He was considered a parasite in this society. People overlooked at him in every aspect of his life. And this is what I find fascinating. This guy is sitting at the doors of the church and all the people of God day in and day out would walk into the temple, go pray, go offer sacrifice, and they would pass by this guy every single day and do nothing. Do nothing. He was overlooked completely unnoticed. And I want you to notice what happens. It says this, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. He had probably asked every person to walk past him for money. And he sees Peter and John coming and he asked them for money. And I like this. Peter looked straight at him. I can imagine I'm picturing in my head, this guy sitting there and, and Peter and John are walking and, and this guy's shaking his cup and he says, Hey, you guys mind sparing some change? Peter and John stop. And it says that Peter looked at him. Now this is an interesting word in the Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. Back in Acts chapter one, this word is used the first time in all the New Testament. And it is when Jesus ascends into heaven Jesus has died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. He's been walking around for 40 days, revealing himself to all these different people. He gives his disciples one last little, like, hoorah, tells them that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And this comes right after this, and it says, and they looked into heaven. As he ascended. The next time this is mentioned is when the first martyr, Stephen, a few chapters later, is being stoned for his faith in Jesus. And it says, and that he looked up into heaven. This is the same word that's used when it says Peter looked at him. This was more than just like he glanced at him. This was more than just he looked at him. This was something more, this something so much more deep than that is that he gazed intently at him. See, I think it was like this. I think that when he stopped and he saw the man, that God was speaking to him, and he saw him differently. He saw him differently. Let me tell you something. Peter and John would have walked through this gate maybe hundreds of times in their life by this point. How many days was this guy at the gate? Every day. That means that they had walked past the same beggar maybe hundreds of times in their life, never even considering him, overlooking him every time. Did he ask them for money before? Absolutely he did. But they walked by him every day almost completely unnoticed. They did not do anything to respond to his need. But this time they stopped and they saw his need. They looked upon him. They saw his need. And then you can kind of feel the empathy coming from Peter. He didn't just see his need, but he felt his need. He felt it in his soul. 
The empathy means this. Empathy means that, that we, can, we can see one another's pain. We can see what one another is going through. We can put ourselves in the place of another. You know, you ever heard someone who's lost a loved one and your heart just breaks for them because you know what it would be like if you lost that person in your life? That's empathy. But he didn't just have empathy on him. He had compassion on him. Compassion means to suffer together. That he, he literally had empathy for him, but he had compassion for him, that he felt his suffering and, and that his heart was broken for the condition of his man. This guy has been lame his entire life, overlooked his entire life, never been able to walk before. He felt his need. And then I want you to notice what he does. He meets his need. This guy's sitting on the ground, he's with his cup, and he stops, and Peter stops, and he looks at him. And the guy asks him for money, and Peter says this, silver and gold I do not have. And I can imagine when Peter said that, this guy was like, great, here we go again. Here we go again. Another guy that's not going to give me money. Silver and gold you don't have. Man, I need gold. I need money. Peter's like, Dude, there's a greater need that you need. Peter says, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he reaches down and takes him by the right hand and he picks him up and as he does, his ankles, his legs are strengthened. And this guy goes running and jumping and notice what the scripture says he does. He praises God. He recognized the source of the power of where that came from. See, when you meet people's needs, what happens is they see God in that and it begins to change them and then they praise God. It turns their attention towards God. And then when you keep reading the passage, what does it say? Then he's going through the temple courts and he's shouting and praising God. And what happens? All the other people start looking around and they go, isn't that the guy that was begging at the gates? Isn't that the guy that we've overlooked so many times before? How is he walking and jumping around? He's been lame his entire life. How is this even possible? And other people started noticing. And if you keep reading in the passage, which we don't have time for tonight, all the people come and they gather around Peter and John. And Peter and John begin to teach them and share with them the love of Christ and share with them the gospel. Because what happens is, is that when your life encounters Jesus and you've been healed, you praise God and you go tell other people about it. And then they want to know what the heck is so different about you. So then they come back to you, to Jesus, or they come to church, or they come wherever you learned about this from. And then they encounter Christ and then they go and tell them about it. And that's what's happening happening in this passage such an amazing amazing scripture so here's the challenge for you if you're taking notes there but there's four things down you got to do the first thing you got to do is you got to stop you got to stop i think sometimes we're so busy and we're so focused on our own agendas that we can't stop and see the needs around us I think busyness is one of the greatest barriers to seeing the needs in other people. We're all busy. We all have responsibilities. And I'm here to tell you, being down the road a little further than you, you don't get less busy. When I was single, I thought I was busy. When I got married, I realized how much time I had. Then I had a kid and my life's over. And then I look at other people and they got like five kids and I'm like, how do you survive? And then they become teenagers. 
And then they want cars and stuff. I don't want her to become a teenager. I want her to stay right where she's at. No. We're always busy. Busyness is always a reason to not serve. Or busyness is always a reason not to stop. I was at a uh, National Youth Workers Convention in Nashville a few years back. Youth pastors from all over the country. There are about 8,000 youth pastors at this one that I was at. And, of course, 8,000 people is a lot of people, and they have all these sessions and stuff going on. And so they try to have this uh, really, like, strategic way to do lunch so that everyone can eat and enjoy their time with each other and it, and it not be just chaos. Because if 8,000 people can't spread out over the town of Nashville and it not take, like, three or four hours. So what they did is they, they brought in all of these food vendors, kind of like food trucks, uh, which we're going to have the back-to-school bash next week, just thought. And... Uh, so they had all these food vendors, and, uh, and they're lining the hallways of this, of this convention. And, and basically, you could just go up and like order food. So I just want you to imagine in this convention center, this massive like corridor, uh, uh, like just big old corridor with, with vendors on both sides and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, just thousands of youth pastors packed in here, and there's tables, and people are sitting against the wall, and they're eating. And, and you know, everybody's got five or six guys around them. Maybe they're people from their church. Maybe they're people they just met. They're talking, chatting, hanging out just kind of kicking it and uh and in the in the midst of of all the pandemonium of thousands of people in here um of these youth pastors um this guy walks through the middle of the corridor and it was obvious this guy was different than everybody else he had a a beard that was about this big <laughs> it was really matted he was really dirty. His clothes were torn. He was wearing no shoes. And it was obvious this guy was homeless. He had made his way into the convention center. He had, he had walked around and he had went down the escalator that led straight to this mass of thousands of youth pastors and these food vendors. I remember watching him. He was walking around just to different people. Hey, man, you think you could get me something to eat? hey, can I get something to eat? And he's just walking around. And just like this beggar, he really went unnoticed, except for by the police. And two police officers walked over to him and they said, sir, you're going to have to leave. And so he turns around and one police officer's on one side, one police officer on the other side, and they start walking back towards the escalator for him to go up to go out the convention hall. And he gets to the escalator. And when he does, right before he gets to the escalator, this guy is kind of making his cut his way through the crowd. And he, he keeps going, police officer, officer, officer. And he's yelling that out as he's cutting through the crowd. And it was kind of loud. So people kind of were, you know, I stopped. Everybody else kind of stopped and we're looking around. And this guy walks over to this homeless guy with his lunch and his drink. And he hands it to the homeless guy. Yeah, pretty amazing. And then he does something, then he does something that I'll never forget. He then leans over, he unties his shoes, he takes his tennis shoes off and he hands them to the guy. And the guy takes his two tennis shoes, he puts them under his shoulder, his drink in one hand, under his arm, puts his drink in one hand, his sandwich or whatever he had in his other hand, and the police escort him up the escalator and he heads out. 
and the, the entire corridor was silent. And the reason it was silent is because here were thousands of youth pastors, including myself, who were so busy with our own agendas, the reasons why we were there, that we could not stop and see the need of someone else. But one did. And the second one is, not only did not only did they stop, but they saw the need. They saw the need. They gazed upon him. It was deep. And this guy felt the need, man. When he ran up to him, that's the third one, he felt the need. When he ran up to this guy, I mean, dude, he, he ran up to this guy. I mean, you could just tell, like, this guy. And when he hands the guy the shoes, the guy leans over, and they hug each other. And I'm just going to be honest, man. I was sitting over there, and I had, like, a pit in my stomach. That was conviction. It was God the Holy Spirit convicting my heart that I had not acted when I should have. I had been a bystander. He felt the need and he met the need. The guy didn't have shoes, he gave him shoes. The guy was wanting food, he gave him food. Here's my question. What are the needs around you that you don't see? because you're busy, maybe it's because you're apathetic, that you need to see? Who is in your life that you need to be serving? Who is it you need to be serving? Let me tell you something. There's needs all around you. Read every single story of when Jesus healed somebody or when Jesus did something in someone else's life. Read every single story. Every single time he stopped he saw the need, he felt the need, he empathized with the person, and he met the need. Every time Jesus did that. Think of the story of the Samaritan woman. Think of the story of the woman caught in adultery. I think of the paralyzed man who was lowered down to the roof. Every single one of those stories, Jesus stopped, he saw the need, he felt the need, and he met the need. And this is what's interesting, too, about it that Jesus didn't just meet physical needs. We know Jesus that he heals blind Bartimaeus, he heals the, 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 the paralyzed, he heals the sick, he, he raises a guy from the dead. I mean, Jesus does all this stuff, but Jesus doesn't just address the physical need, Jesus also addresses the spiritual need because Jesus understands what we all understand and what you must understand if you don't understand that the greatest need that you have in your life is the need for a savior. The greatest need you had for your life right now isn't some external situation that you got going on. It is for you to put God at the core of your life. Because the only way life is going to make sense is if that's the case. That's the only way. Jesus addresses the spiritual need every time. He's talking to the woman at the well. He's, he's talking to her about her life. He tells her her whole life story. He's like, yeah, you know, you've had like five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not really your husband. And he tells her, listen, if you come to me, I got a living water. And if you drink from this well, you'll never thirst again. He addresses the spiritual need. The paralyzed man, this paralyzed man in Mark chapter two is brought to Jesus. He's, he's lowered down through the, through the roof. And I think this is so interesting. It's the th it, one of these passages just perplexes me. It's why it's one of my favorite passages in Mark chapter two. And he says this, Jesus looks up at the paralyzed man and it says, because of their, their faith, your sins are forgiven. 
Because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Now, this guy is paralyzed, and the first thing Jesus says is your sins are forgiven. I can imagine these friends are thinking, that's great that you're forgiven of sins, but the reason that we're bringing him to you is because he's paralyzed, and we want you to unparalyze him so he can walk again. But Jesus recognized that this guy had a greater need in his life than a physical need, and that was a spiritual need. A spiritual need. Jesus saw that in him. He saw the spiritual need that this guy had. That if that guy still walked out of there, still walked out of there, paralyzed, that if his spiritual need was met, that's what mattered most. And then all the Pharisees and teachers of the law around started saying to themselves, who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus is like, that's what I'm trying to tell you, boys and girls. I'm God. And so Jesus says this. Jesus says, well, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin on earth, I tell you, take up your mat and walk. And the paralyzed man takes his mat up and he walks. But Jesus met the spiritual need first. I tell you guys this message tonight because we need to reset some things in our hearts. We are around a lot of need all the time. And I wanna challenge you guys to stop, to see the needs, to feel the needs, and to meet the needs. We, next week, have an opportunity to do something unbelievable in this place. Back to school bash. And it's gonna be it's gonna be sick nasty. Now let me tell you something. Next week at the back to school bash, we're gonna have all kinds of crazy stuff. Like the school bus we spray painted, we're gonna have sledgehammers, we're gonna bash the bus. That's one thing we're gonna do next week. Another thing we're gonna have next week is we are bringing in, we just kind of like the bus theme. So we're going to bring in a video gamer bus. And so if you like to play video gamers, this bus has flat screens all in it. And you can get on there and play on this video gamer bus. It's pretty sick. We also were like, you know what, man? Like youth ministry, like we get a little tired sometimes of, you know, pizza all the time and all this kind of stuff. So this is what we're going to do. We said, I, I talked to some students. I said, listen, food trucks are not cheap for us just to like bring that in. Pizza is much cheaper for us. So what if, uh, what if, uh, you know, we subsidize a little bit or whatever, but uh, would you rather pay a little bit and have food trucks? Or would you rather have pizza? And all, everybody was like, dude, food trucks for sure. So we're gonna have some food trucks here next week. So bring a little cash, buy you some stuff from the food trucks that are going to be around. Nothing's better than food trucks. And so while we are bashing the bus out front and while you're getting food at the food trucks, we have got, uh, we're, we're bringing in some professional BMX bikers that have ramps and stuff set out there doing flips and all kinds of crazy stuff out in the parking lot. Also, uh, we've got a band, if you, got, you guys might know them, 10 Steps Back, uh, who's played, um, they're pretty, pretty awesome. They got a new CD that come out and they're going to be starting a, they're going to be starting their concert at six o'clock next week on the bridge. So there'll be live music playing the entire time on the bridge and going out. We've got, I don't even know how much. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know how much. This, I, we got so, many, so much money in giveaways. It's crazy. Um, we got tons of giveaways. We got all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's, it's going to be an insanely amazing night. But listen, you need to know something. Back to school bash 
The reason we do it is because like last year, we had 708 high school students here. We had 117 people come down and say they wanted to profess faith in Jesus. That's why we do it. Yes. That's why we do it. So here's the deal. Tonight, later on, when we dismiss you from the service, there's going to be some stuff for you guys to do tonight, and it's kind of a response to this message in a few minutes or in a little bit. But there's going to be a table when you go out, and there's going to be invite cards, and we want you to invite people to the back-to-school bash. We're going to have a big prize for whoever brings the most people. Um, like last year, uh, two years ago, it was, a, it was an iPad. Last year, I think it was like $500 cash. It'll be some big, big thing um, the, for whoever brings the most people that night. But listen, listen. I don't want people to take these invite cards and drop them in people's lockers and like throw them out and sneak them in people's pockets and in the hallway. And so, so when they stick their hand in their pocket, they get their keys. They're like, oh, what is this? I want you to personally invite people that you know that need to be here. And let me tell you something. This, what I'm going to talk about next week, the message I'm going to give and what we're going to be doing next week is going to be so unbelievably powerful I cannot even explain it to you. Like, God has laid this on my heart for like two months now for Back to School Bass. I've been so excited about it, like I can't even hardly think straight. And I promise you this, I promise you this, guys and all, many of you will be broken next week. There is something that we're going to do in the service that's going to be so powerful that I went over it yesterday and, dude, I, I, I was just, like, pouring tears out. It is not going to disappoint. And the whole point of it is this. We want people to encounter God, to encounter his presence. We want their lives to be changed. And that is what next week is all about. It is the passage of Scripture that I'm going to be talking about next week is the passage of Scripture that changed my life and led me to Christ. That's what I'm going to be talking about next week. So make sure that you're here and make sure you invite people. So get some of those cards. I would say everybody get two or three cards. If you know you want to invite more than that and you're going to invite more than that, then take more. I don't care how many you take, but take them to people and say, hey, man, I want to invite you to this. It is going to be incredible. Tell them all the things we're going to have there. There's going to be more than that. I don't want to take up all the time telling you all the things that are going to be there. And I don't know if you guys know a guy by the name of John Joyner. He, he might... He, he just might be leading worship next week. So back to school bass is going to be incredible. And so that is an opportunity. That is an opportunity for you to see the need. That is an opportunity for you to see the need in people and say, listen, people have spiritual needs. I need to invite them in. I need to get them here so that they can hear this message, so that they can be challenged and changed. Because let me tell you something. If you guys get serious about this, you invite people. Dude, we're like packing this place out, bro. You know what I'm saying? And sisters, like we're going to get done with this thing. And the week afterwards, we're going to have to keep the doors open because we'll have people packed outside the doors. And then next week, we're going to have to like do this service like in the lobby or like hang people from the ceiling or something is going to be crazy. Now also at the Baptist School Bash, I'm going to announce something that is going to happen the week after the Back to School Bash and it is in the 12 years of student ministry the coolest thing that I have ever wanted to do. So I'm not going to tell you about it now. You have to come next week. You have to come next week. 
All right. Let me close this out. Let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. I got you guys all excited now. Here we go. Let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. Jesus came to this earth with a heart to serve, with a posture of serving, serving other people, seeing the needs in other people and meeting those needs. We see him in the upper room taking the towel off his waist and washing his disciples' feet, taking on the very nature of a slave. And he says this, I have not come to serve, to be served, but I've come to serve. What is your posture? Is your posture that of a servant? As I mentioned on night one and at the beginning of the message tonight, Christians are at their best when they decrease. Christians are at their worst when they increase. And when you increase, you don't serve. We have so many opportunities for you to serve. I want to tell you about a few of them, and then the band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song just to get your heart prepared. And then we're going to go out the doors, and there's going to be tables and all kinds of places for you to, serve, to sign up to serve. And I want to tell you about some of those different things that you can sign up and serve in. There's going to be a children's ministry table out there for students that want to sign up to serve in children's ministry. Anybody serving children's ministry now? <laughs> so a lot of you already are. If you are here, you don't have to sign up for that. If you're not serving, you say, man, you know what? I'd love to serve in the children's ministry here. We got some awesome, we got elementary school, we got preschool. They need MCs, they need music leaders, they need, you know, uh, all kinds of teachers, they need all kinds of stuff. There's also, there's also a middle school ministry table out there to serve in middle school ministry. Anybody serve in middle school ministry? Do we have an incredible middle school ministry here? We do like, we, hold on, we do like to say this. We like to say that if you are in ninth grade, we would request that you stay away from the middle school ministry table. And the reason we say that is because, you know, dude, you need to, you know, you're in high school now. So don't hang out. You know, we don't want to keep people hanging out in middle school. Like if you just feel like God's calling you to serve in middle school, then by all means, but, but that's, that's, uh, that's not the intent of that. And then we also are going to have a high school ministry table. Let me tell you what's going to be on this table. We, we next week, uh, and we're looking at doing this on Sunday of this week, we're going to call every student that has attended age 12 in the last like six months just to tell them about the back to school bash. A lot of people don't come back until after the back to school bash. They're in a few weeks from school. And so we need a calling team and people that, can, that we can bring in. And every time that we make phone calls, we have about 25% more students than when we don't. So I want to challenge you, encourage you to sign up for the calling team. We're also gonna have, we also have a greeter team and uh, someone that will be leading that. And that greeter team will be people that like, you'll get a t-shirt, you'll hang out on the bridge, you'll help people that are new, find their place, show them where the first time check-in is, things like that. Have a smile on your face. If you're a bubbly, friendly personality, and that might be a good place to use your gifts. Uh, we got a setup team that, you know, sets up like the speakers and the systems and the sound, all that stuff. We got a tech team. Oh, we got a worship team. As you guys see, if you play an instrument, you know, whatever that happens to be, you can, uh, uh, or you sing and you're like, dude, I am just like the bomb.com at singing and I need to be on the worship team. You can audition for that. Sign up for that. Hold on, hold on. I'm almost done. I got, I got a couple big, big ones to give you here in a second. And then there's something else that, that I really want to push into here. This is something I want you to sign up for, but you don't have to sign up for it. But every week, we have a prayer team. And the prayer team is students who would say, hey, I commit to coming and praying every single week before the service starts, 
praying over the night. At one time, we had so many people in the prayer room that we had to move it to Cornerstone Theater because there were so many people in prayer and our ministry was blowing up. And I, I told that prayer team, and I believe this with all my heart, that if God is gonna do something great in this ministry like we want it to and great in the hearts of the people, it starts with us tapping into the Holy Spirit, tapping into God, and that starts with us on our faces in prayer. And so I wanna challenge you to come early on, th- on Tuesday nights and pray. Come, come early, come at 5.30 and pray from 5.30 to 6. <clears throat> you wanna pray for longer, that's fine. They meet in the prayer room, just come here and say, hey man, I'm here for the prayer team. Do that every week. We wanna get the prayer team <coughs> going. You can sign up for that and somebody will contact you about that. Now, if you are interested in going on a missions trip with H12, then there's also gonna be a missions table where you can sign up to go on a missions trip. We went on two trips to Haiti this year. We went on two trips to Haiti last year. We took over 50 students this year. Over 50 students in our ministry went to Haiti this past year. Um, We're most likely gonna be going to Haiti again next year. But if you wanna sign up to be a part of a mission trip, this does not mean that you're committing to go. This just means you want more information about it. We're gonna have some, in a couple months, we're gonna have a a big meeting on it. We're information meeting, invite your parents, all that kind of stuff. You know, and we'll talk to them about that. But if you're interested in mission trips, sign up. And then we are gonna be doing something in October that we've never done before. It's gonna be the weekend of October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. There are only about 25 spots to 30 spots. It is a, it's gonna be a first come, first serve. And basically how the first come, first serve works is everyone who writes their name and information on them on this piece of paper will get an email on how to sign up. <laughs> and the first 25 to 30 people sign up are the people that are going. We're gonna be going to this thing called City of Refuge. It's in downtown Atlanta and it is incredible. It is working with uh, homeless people. It is working with, um, and it's working with homeless families, women who have been out on the street with their kids. This place brings them in. And so we will be working with the women and their children and things like that. We'll be teaching them. We'll be loving on them. We'll be sharing with them. We'll get to hear their stories. We'll get to share the gospel with them. It's a really, really powerful experience. And, um, and it's a life-changing experience. NFL team, they take NFL teams to this place. They take NBA teams to this place. They take them to this place because it's such an empowerful life-changing experience. It's called City of Refuge. If you are interested in that, sign up. We will send you the information. We'll have a waiting list for that because I know we're going to have one. Uh, But if that's something you would be interested in, make sure that you sign up. There's also the life groups uh, table that'll be out there. And then for all of my peeps in this room that feel like God has called you into ministry, and I know there's quite a few of you that are in this room. I think we got close to 40 students that kind of feel like God has called them into ministry. There's going to be a spot for you to fill out and sign up, uh, sign up out there for that as well. If you're interested in that, when, once you sign up, I will send you a, a thing through your email. You click on it. You fill it out. It comes back to me. And uh, we have a thing coming up, an orientation you have to go through, and then a thing coming up September the 20th where we have Christian colleges coming in here. We've got, uh, we've got training and stuff all day. We're giving out books and resources and all kinds of stuff to help develop you as you feel called to ministry. We're going to pair you up with a 12-stone pastor at the church here who's going to mentor you, who's going to meet with you once a semester for an hour where you can ask some questions about what it means to be called to ministry. I mean, this is a pretty big deal what we are trying to take over. I've been working on putting this thing together for about a year and a half. We're so excited about it. And so if you feel like God's called you into ministry, then I want you to, uh, to sign up for that. So there's many areas for you to serve in, many areas for you to get connected. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to pray for you. The band's going to come up. They're going to play. Uh, they're going to lead us in a song. And while they lead us in this song, that was loud. And uh, while they lead us in this song, I want you, I want you just to, just to prepare your heart. 
just to ask God, give me a little bit of clarity on what you would have me do. Give me a little clarity on what you would have me do. God, I know I need to be serving. God, I know I need to see the needs. And we're putting it out there for you. We're showing you like, look, there's plenty of needs. I think it's so important to serve the church, to serve the kingdom. And it's so important for you to serve your friends, to serve your, your families. I was talking with one of the youth pastors here at 12 Stone uh, at our leaders retreat this weekend. And he says, I think that one of the number one markers one of the number one markers to show that someone is spiritually mature is how they serve their parents. I said, whoa. He says, if you can't honor, respect, and serve your parents, he says, how mature are you really? Because the Bible has a lot to say about it. He said, man, I don't see a lot of need around me. Let me tell you something. Your parents need to serve, need you to serve them. Do you know what your parents would do if you went home tonight and you says, hey, mom, I got the dishes. Hey, mom, this weekend, I want you to have the weekend off. I'm going to clean the house. Probably fall on the floor and die. <laughs> so don't do that. I actually was telling the, the youth pastors, this is, this is really personal for me, what I'm about to tell you. I, was, I have no intention of telling you, but I'm going to tell it to you. This fall, my motto is this. This is personal. I've only, I've only told four other people. They're all pastors to keep me accountable. My motto this fall is this, hammer and the towel. Hammer and the towel. When I think of hammering, I think of working. When I think of the towel, I think of the towel that Jesus wrapped around his waist to serve. And my motto is hammering the towel because I have a new baby at home and my wife works her tail off taking care of our beautiful little girl. And the commitment that I've made with God is that I will work my tail off for this ministry. And when I go home, I will put my towel on and I will serve. I will serve her. I don't want my wife to touch a dish. I don't want her to vacuum a floor. I don't want her to have to wipe off a table. I don't want her to have to feed our child one time while I'm at home. Hammer and a towel. You gotta make some decisions on how you're gonna serve. You gotta make some decisions on how you're gonna decrease and let him increase. Because Christians are at their worst when they increase. We all know it, we all see it, and we're all tempted by it. I don't know what your motto is, I don't know what commitments you need to make, but during this song, I want you to do some business with God. Let it be said of you that you are the guy that runs up to the homeless guy and hands them your lunch and your shoes. I got 30 pair of shoes probably in my closet it would not have been a sacrifice to give my shoes to someone who didn't have any. So God, I just wanna pray for these students. I pray, God, that we would do business with you. God, we do live in a consumer culture. We live in a, in a world that is all about me. We live in a world that is so busy with our own agendas that we cannot pay attention oftentimes to the things that you care about most and what you're trying to do in our life. And God, I pray that these students 
tonight would do business with you. If you were not at the core of their life, I pray that tonight they would make you the core, that they would surrender their life to you. If they say, I don't even know what that looks like, I don't even know how that is, then Lord, I pray that they would be bold and come and talk to me or come and talk to one of our adult leaders and that they would get it right tonight. And God, I pray, Father, if there's any broken relationships that these students have with one another or broken relationships they have with anybody else, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help them get that right. And God, I pray that you would help them in their lives to stop, to see the needs, to fill the needs, and to meet needs. May we do business with you tonight. May your spirit work in our hearts. Challenge us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.